Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, a podcast for embedded Linux developers. Hi, this is Gene Sally. I'm here with uh, Machi Halash. Hello. And we're doing uh, uh, the third in the series of podcasts. We're talking about uh, real time and real time in Linux in, in, in particular. Uh, it, it is a very actually uh, interesting topic to, to, to our listeners. So absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I know this is number three. I think we could probably do three more. I'm, I'm saying we're going to do three, but we could probably do three more. There's probably more material that we can cover. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, last time we talked about things like um, uh, sources of latency in the kernel. And, and, you know, one of the things, maybe podcast number, I don't know, pick some other number, uh, we can talk about user space latency, too. Because um, I know we spoke, mm-hmm. we focus most, uh, mostly on if you're writing device drivers and you're, you're working on the kernel, how you could avoid you know, getting yourself into situations where you cause uh, latency or, uh, or other unbounded conditions that will uh, screw up your real-time system, right? And so – and what we wanted to do in that podcast is touch on what was different in the 2.6 kernel with respect to real-time. And, well, we ran out of time. Right. Exactly. So last time we started actually talking about um, how the real-time concepts that we covered in a two previous co- podcasts – um, got implemented into yeah. 6 to kernel, and we simply ran out of time. So mm-hmm. uh, just to recap, I, I would like to actually go through a list of what's um, what's new in 2.6 to kernels or which of the um, concepts that we discussed are presently uh, implemented in, in, in a latest 2.6 kernels. Yeah, that sounds fair. Because I, I know what we did is we, we sort of looked at the effects Right. Right. Yeah. But we really didn't dig into the well, why is it that way and what changed to make it that way. And so, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, let's go through a list very quickly and let's just uh, list them out uh, one by one. So um, beginning with 2.6.0 Linux kernel all the way till 2.6.22.2, I guess, is the latest uh, official release from kernel.org. Yeah. Um, we have the O1 scheduler. We have the improved POSIX implementation of um, signals and other mechanisms in the Linux kernel. We mm-hmm. have um, a n- number of different levels of uh, preemption. We have voluntary preemption. Uh, we have uh, preemptible kernel and then full real-time preemption. We have... Oh, you tried uh, to explain that to me last time, right? Well, and we'll get there, but let, okay. let's go through the list okay. I'm before, sorry. before we dive into uh, details. But So um, hard IRQs executed in uh, threat context. Um, we also have in 2.6 Linux kernels a priority inheritance implemented on both kernel space and uh, user space. Um, the newest add-on to... Um, Linux kernel that touches upon real time is the introduction of high resolution timers in uh, 2621, I believe. Um, and then there are other interesting areas of Linux kernel that uh, make uh, developers' lives easier, developers' lives who uh, try to develop uh, real time. Uh, platforms, applications, and, and I'm thinking here about various configuration options that um, you can uh, turn on under kernel hacking to to monitor the behavior of uh, of the Linux kernel. Oh, cool! Uh, I'm not sure if I covered everything. Uh, we might actually find a few other topics um, as we as we go through uh, w- each of them in more detail. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, probably the best place to kick off is the is the. Well, no, you want to talk about high resolution timers, right? Because I know that's what came in last. 
That's actually a quite important addition. Well, so um, I would actually want to go through a list uh, the, oh, way, order. the way we laid it out so oh, wow. that, you know, I, just a bit of uh, – um, anyways <laughs> – O1 scheduler, that's, I think, something that we covered um, in very much detail um, during both of our previous podcasts, I guess. We talked about um, why it's called O1 and what's so special about uh, that particular implementation. Yeah. But um, I wanted to um, talk about improved POSIX compliancy. Sure. Um, because, um, as you remember, in 2.4 Linux kernel, um, the POSIX, the implementation of uh, POSIX API was not the greatest, um, at least not from a um, developer that relies on um, certain behavior from, let's say, signals or um, message queues. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know what they. I know what happened is that the message queues over in uh, over in this uh, release, or well, are actually Im- implemented, which is really nice. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I know a lot of folks that are out there, um, uh, a lot of the customers that I deal with that have decent sized systems rely on message queue for for message passing, and be, because it is something that's um, well implemented on most POSIX systems, uh, and so it makes it really easy to shuffle uh, data across, especially across process borders. Um, because you can uh, synchronize on a file handle, even mm-hmm. uh, so, it makes it really great. And I, and I know that was you know, simply missing in the other implementation, um, uh, the POSIX implementation that came with two six. And it is because it does cross processes. It is something that does require you know a lot of work in the kernel in order to get that done. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know another thing that that was added in too was you know actual priority inheritance, which was really nice. Uh, There's a couple flags in POSIX that you can send in at different points to say I want to inherit the you know if I'm a mutex. Set this flag so I priority inherit, or if I'm a process, you know, take the priority of my, uh, you know, whoever spawned me. So, you know, folks that were used to using that, uh, those sort of protocols and other systems are actually able to take advantage of them. I guess one of the neat things about the pos- about POSIX is that it is a spec, right? Right. And it's one of those things where I. I you read about it, yeah. you, you think that it's going to do the magic thing. Uh, for you in your application, you yeah. think you understand it, you write your application, and then boom, doesn't do what it's it does, supposed it, it to. It doesn't right? work. It's, I know a lot of the things in Linux is, is, is it doesn't. If it doesn't comply, it'll accept all the parameters mm. and just not do anything. And so, <laughs> which is kind of frustrating because you know you crack open the you know you crack open your yay old you know POSIX book and it explains to you what to do and you set up everything correctly. And then right, well nothing. Well, another area that they actually improved in in. Two six Linux kernel around POSIX compliance is um, a, an improved implementation of signals. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot so, about that. Um, in, in the past, um, in two four kernels, and I think that um, in early two six, um, the you you were not able to um, uh, process as many um, times as signal arrived. So let's say that signal A mm-hmm. arrives to another process. Um, Ten times, um, but before it gets processed. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But when that process that receives those signals starts running, it sees mm-hmm. only one occurrence of that signal. Yeah. Uh, from a real-time standpoint, that's very bad because. Oh, it's worse than bad, right? <laughs> um, the uh, those ten signals were sent for a particular reason. Yeah. And um, the process that was supposed to handle them 
was supposed to execute 10 times and not yeah. only once and acknowledge mm-hmm. that the signal was um, um, processed or received. Yeah. So that's really cool. Because I, I, I know it's one of those bu- – right, that's sort of one of those – I say a, a bug but a defect or, or a problem that crops up. Man, that only gets you in the field. And and it's really difficult to model that out of your system even. And, mm. I mean, you can have that sort of problem crop up if you weren't really aware of how things were handled and, you know, test it on the bench and then have something go out to a customer and it'll fall over uh, under, under some sort of stress condition. And, and, you know, how do you know, right? Well, exactly. And uh, especially if your application is designed in such a way that um, only at certain occasions you – the, the, the number of signals that's supposed to be processed um, are showing any effect on the application, right? So um, I've seen applications where um, the fact that the signals were not implemented correctly uh, were not impacting necessarily the application because the application was not necessarily designed well. So yeah. um one signal was sufficient to do whatever application wanted to do. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But in scenarios where um, you, for example, create a platform, mm-hmm. um, you test that platform, and, and you send those 10 signals, you process only one, and you don't test for the overall behavior, then you deliver that to a customer. The customer uh, puts an application on top of it uh-huh. uh, that relies on, on uh, the POSIX <laughs> signals and, and you know, the right queuing of them, mm-hmm. um, things start behaving badly, right? Yeah, it goes boom. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's jump to the next topic maybe. Um, and uh, the next topic, um, I'm looking at our short list here of um, improvements in 2.6 Linux kernel is, um, is uh, levels of preemption. And um, just to... Uh, put it out on table. There are in Linux kernel in 2.6 Linux kernel. You can select the level of preemption that you want to enable. Again, the reason behind um, giving that option to a user is that there is a trade-off between um, uh, throughput and reliability, and that's that's again something we covered in the, in the first episode, I guess, in real time. But but it's still I mean it's still worth mentioning. You know, there's mm. you know real time system is. Because uh, you don't want to bore yourselves with the other podcasts, right? I mean, real-time uh, system doesn't mean fast; it means predictable. And in order for you to have a predictable system, you're going to make trade-offs, no doubt about it, between how much you can handle versus how reliably you can handle data. And when you talk about something like preemption, you're uh, uh, tuning uh, your processes' ability to be interrupted by something else of higher priority. Mm-hmm. Um, Sort of a different, you know, I, I look at it sort of the opposite way. Uh, but I mean, what you're really saying is that for a certain for a certain process, it is much less important than other ones, and you, you allow it to be pre- preempted. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means is, of course, that process won't run as much. Which, uh, depending on what it, depending on what that is, could translate to lower throughput, throughput. But that's coming at the predictability of some other process. Right. I'm sorry. I don't mean if it, no, no. That that's actually a very very great. Um, explanation of, of the concept yeah. and, and um, I wanted to, to touch upon voluntary preemption first because last uh, last time we we did touch upon that topic a bit and I don't think it was uh, clear enough uh, to to us here in a, our little studio as well, well the thing uh, about it is it was really clear to you 
I, you couldn't describe it to me. I'm just not smart enough to understand. Well, so, so let, let's, let's try to actually tackle that topic again mm-hmm. okay. because um, so a source of uh, confusion last time probably was um, coming from the fact that we are trying to compare the uh, voluntary preemption with um, priority inheritance yeah. protocol, right? And those are two separate concepts that, well, work together but not in the same way. Yeah, and the mistake, my mistake was as as I sort of equated them, and and yeah. Well, no, but I think that this is great because um, those two concepts are confusing. They Mm -hmm. they kind of uh, imply the same concepts, the same behaviors. Oh yeah, but they're different. Oh yeah. So let's talk about voluntary preemption, and um, so that's a first level of uh, preemptiveness that you can um, enable in the Linux kernel. and it comes out from the fact that uh, Linux kernel code can preempt itself, and mm-hmm. that's how it's supposed to be, right? You you want f- for a real-time operating system to really be um, real-time and quotes unquote soft real-time in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, you want the the operating system to be able to schedule high-priority tasks regardless of what else is executing in the system in a in the shortest time possible, right? Got it. So. Yeah. Um, Voluntary preemption adds explicit rescheduling points uh, throughout the kernel, and um, the way that has been accomplished was through um, um, hiding behind um, the calls to um, another another function, uh, which is called might sleep in the Linux mm-hmm. kernel. So mm-hmm. that function might sleep has already been implemented as a debugging hook yeah. throughout the Linux kernel, and when the real-time open source community uh, started looking at um, the sources of latencies, mm-hmm. they they came to a conclusion that they can simply reuse those functions. And uh, whenever the might sleep call is being called by the Linux kernel, mm-hmm. they uh, simply uh, reroute that call to uh, uh, con reschedule. Yes. Which allows the scheduler to kick in and see if there's a high-priority process ready to run. If there is, well, there's preemption. And and the great thing about this approach is that um, they didn't have to go throughout entire Linux kernel source code Mm -hmm. and touch all those places where um, those additional preemption points have been added, right? Mm -hmm. They simply reused an already existing function um, and just... um, Sort of piggybacked on it, yeah. Because what, what what you're really saying there is, you know, in layman's terms, uh, or at least things that I can understand, right, is that uh, at certain points you're going to voluntarily stop and say, okay, what else do you have to do? And that could be in between whenever the scheduler tick would normally happen, right. and that's how you get much better. Um, uh, what I want to say, much better latency, because mm-hmm. instead of waiting for the scheduler to kick in and interrupt the task, uh, what's what's happening is a, is this threat is saying, oh well, I can be interrupted now. So mm-hmm. if you want to go ahead, and that exactly. sort of and that sort of granularity goes to reducing latency, because then, and then we talked way back again mm-hmm. about scheduler latency, and we talked about uh, other uh, uh, other you know, sources of latency in the system. Although I don't think I'd categorize this as scheduler latency. Um, you could. Uh, you know, the more often you get to evaluate what you need to run next, the closer you approximate a real-time system. Right, um, exactly. And so this concept, the voluntary preemption, does not uh, deal with mutual exclusion. Okay. 
And that's how different it is compared to priority inheritance on mutexes, right? Because uh-huh. priority inheritance um, on kernel mutexes really deals with um, getting or unblocking a high priority task in a mutual exclusion or contention on a shared resource. Assuming, okay. Right? So um, back to voluntary preemption. Yeah, it, it adds, um, I believe, around 100 additional preemption points throughout the kernel. Okay. Which uh, brings the brings down the uh, latency to a level of, um, I believe, milliseconds. Um but that that level of preemption has been added actually on top of um, another level of uh, preemptiveness, the preemptible kernel, which was whose goal was actually to achieve that level of uh, latency of one uh, millisecond. Um, okay, I, I see that you're screening your face, so uh, let me let me rewind and. Okay. Um, Talk about preemptible kernel option in, inside the Linux kernel. So the the concept was here to um, again add additional rescheduling points throughout the kernel, but in a more invasive approach, um, just to make sure that the Linux kernel um, that the Linux kernel can um, perform a certain activity. Okay. Um, like for example, playing audio without. Um, without any jitter, oh, okay. um, without any delays, and um, the goal for that for that particular um, action on a Pentium platform, mm-hmm. a fairly fast Pentium platform, okay. was to achieve a goal of uh, one millisecond latency. Oh, okay, um, and so that patch, uh, that part of a real time patch, um, causes most kernel code to be. Um, Preempted involuntarily at any time. Okay. Um, except kernel critical sections. Okay. Um, and, and as a benefit, applications that um, are soft real time but do require a certain level of um, CPU time mm-hmm. can execute as required, right? Okay. So that combined with voluntary preemption ensures certain level of uh, latencies. Okay. Do we? Uh, yeah. So I mean, that's a really good. That's a really good thing because you know it's. You run into uh, 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 these sort of latency issues, and they they come and get you. So it's um, but it is a through. But again, it still is a throughput trade off, right? It is, but not that big. Um, ah, okay. at, at At this level of preemption, I see. Um, there's the next level of. Um, Preemption, which is called, I believe, full real-time preemption, um, where goal was to achieve a level of latency of uh, microseconds. Okay. Right. And that particular uh, implementation or that part of a real-time patch that got into a Linux kernel mainline mm-hmm. um, is more invasive. It uh, <clears throat> causes all but most critical kernel code to be involuntarily preempted. Okay. So only few places um, kernel uh, really cannot be preempted. In all other places, um, the call to reschedule really does execute. Okay, instead of um, just being a, a stop. Right. Yeah. And um, the reason why it was done this way, in my understanding, okay. um, was that um, there was 
well, particularly that that, that trade-off between uh, um, throughput and uh, reliability. Sure. Right. Um, there are applications that are okay with the millisecond um, latency scale, mm-hmm. uh, but do require fairly fast. Um, I don't know, interrupt communication uh, okay. on, on a network card, perhaps, mm-hmm. right? And then there's there's the application where um, you run certain tasks periodically mm-hmm. in a very close, tight loop mm-hmm. where um, latency of a level of uh, millisecond can really, um, well, break break the application, make the application behave incorrectly or, um, well, one example might be again that robotic arm that we were talking about last time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one millisecond latency might cause a glitch that, um, for example, turns the head that approaches the car or whatever mm-hmm. that robot creates at the wrong angle, yeah. hence causing the entire production line to to um, uh, really fail. It would kind of like a ripple effect, right? Yeah. Um, Medical applications, you mm-hmm. wanna you want the reliability, and you don't care that much of a throughput. That's right? correct. So um, that's that's why uh, those three levels have been introduced to to satisfy um, the variety of needs around um, real time, and I think that um, the community did an excellent job here, um, dividing those levels of preemptiveness of or, or trade off um, because. Uh, in fact, and, and that was part of the uh, reason why um, the real-time patch or the real-time implementation inside Linux kernel had uh, such a difficulty getting into kernel mainline mm-hmm. was that um, a lot of engineers did not need real-time, and they were just fine with um, whatever Linux kernel from kernel.org was delivering mm-hmm. because their application relied on throughput. Yes, so um, I, I think that um, the open source community did a fantastic job by um, simply implementing those mechanisms in such a way that you don't have to turn them on in the Linux kernel at all. So engineers that um, that really need throughput can still get the throughput exactly the way it was uh, at the beginning in two six Linux kernels. And engineers that do want real-time or do want uh, reliability can control the level of preemption yeah. right? and that trade-off. It's kind yeah. of like a little knob. Yeah, well, and by default, too, it's set, for, it's, it's set up for throughput. So, I mean, that's... You know, you know that's something where the average or regular you know, enterprise type user, you know, it's not going to change their life that much. And so, mm-hmm. hey, one of the things I, I wanted to mention is that I, I know last time we talked briefly for about Mutexas and Spinlocks, and I really got flamed um, because uh, I, I did a very, I, I did, I, I did a very poor job of explaining the, the difference. And so, because one of the, the changes in the preemption patch, right, is the is the you know substitution in most cases, but not in mm-hmm. all. Uh, of spin locks uh, for mutexes, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and anyway, so the first thing is is you know when I talk about doing a spin lock, uh, when I first heard when I first heard the word spin lock, I had no idea what that meant because uh, mm-hmm. I always something spinning, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, like what's turning Where? here? Right? <laughs> so yeah, uh, so but you know, you know, when you talk about a spin lock, what a spin lock means and is that it'll 
uh, attempt to acquire a, a lock, right? So that means two things are contending for some resource, right? And or more than two, or some number of things are contending for a resource. And so when it's when you uh, set up a spin lock, it'll wait and continually retry until it can proceed. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that while it's continually retrying, it won't yield to the scheduler until it's interrupted, mm-hmm. until that task is interrupted. And uh, one of the benefits, right, one of the benefits about using a spin lock is extremely fast to set up. I mean, they're very efficient, very, very, very efficient locking mechanisms um, with respect to, to speed. Uh, however, they're not very efficient with respect to uh, predictability because it'll sit until it gets interrupted. And so that, and the difference is a mutex, right? So a mutex will, will set itself up and then yield to the scheduler if it doesn't acquire its lock. Um, so let's back off a bit because I'm not sure if I, if I got the uh, part where we were talking about um, what's why spin locks are so bad for real-time app application. Well, I, well, they're bad in the fact that they attempt to. So let's say you have two, two, you know, chance, threads of execution, right? Mm-hmm. Two, two programs, two something, right? Programs, right? Your two threads that are attempting to uh, to both reach some something, right? Some counter. That, so one of them will acquire a lock and begin doing its work, which might be I don't know, ten instructions long, but it's a computer, right? So ten instructions. So the, and the other one uh, will also attempt to acquire the lock, and if it doesn't immediately get it, it'll retry. And retry and retry and retry and retry. And it'll continue retrying until it's interrupted by the scheduler or it receives, well, I guess, and or uh, it receives its um, uh, it receives its lock, right? Because the other thing could be finished and then it can proceed. Um, and that sort of activity um, means that there is a certain bit of time where that thread is really not doing anything, right? That, that activity you know, the time that it, that it's going through and waiting could be effectively yielded to another thread that can actually do something useful, right? Because in the time that it's spinning, uh, or you know, uh, or waiting, or retrying, probably a better way to say it is retrying. So in the time that it's retrying, uh, you could potentially be running some other thread that will do something useful. Um, and so uh, that's why they're not preferable for a real-time mm. system. Mm-hmm. So let's say this is a lower-priority thread or something along those lines. Uh, it could potentially have yielded to a higher-priority thread uh, before the scheduler came through and, and changed things. Because uh, remember, all processes are, are interrupted by the scheduling. Right, right. Uh, by scheduling interrupt. And I think I talked with, you know, listen, I think that's one of the miracles I found out when I started to, I know I've never worked on an operating system before, you know, mm-hmm. five years ago when I started this and. One of my big questions was, well, how does that scheduler ever get called, right? Um, and so that timer interrupt, that or the, that interrupt that occurs for the scheduling to rehappen, um, uh, is every so often. Mm-hmm. And if you have a spin lock, uh, you are sitting in a thread that could potentially yield to do another process. Mm-hmm. And then the scheduler can do a better job of figuring out what to, what to do next. So is, that, is that a good job? I. I, I I think you did excellent job. Yeah, think I'm gonna get flamed again. <laughs> but uh, so now mutexes, right? Spinlogs got substituted with mutexes, and what's different now? Ah, so you, so mutex will say okay, um, and a mutex is short for mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, if you've never unpacked that before, so um, 
Uh, so what a mutex will do is it'll attempt to acquire a lock. And if it doesn't, it'll yield to the scheduler. And its loop, instead of saying retry, 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 it's try, fail, yield, right? Try, fail, yield. And whenever it does a yield, when it goes back to the scheduler and say, scheduler and say do something, uh, the scheduler can then go through and pick the task that needs to run next. And, and you're, of course, you're getting more scheduler calls in that sort of situation. Um, uh, but the flip of it is the, the advantage to that is the scheduler can then pick what really needs to run next, mm-hmm. which might not be your application. And that decision on whether to, to run the scheduler happens more frequently so it can do a better job of picking the right thing to do next. And I guess that another enhancement is that um, those new mutexes, they, they do have um, hooks for priority inheritance. So, um, oh, that's a really uh, – th- th- yeah, I was so focused on getting the – but no, 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 that's entirely correct. So, um, uh, so for priority inheritance, that means if that thread right, happens to be blocking a resource needed by yet a higher priority thread, which is the classic priority inheritance problem um, – the schedule will recognize that and then run that at, yet a, at the higher priority and schedule it through mm. so that the so that the even higher priority yet thread right. won't be won't be waiting as long right so you get better preemption but you get also better real time behavior by implementing um, by by simply taking advantage of mutexes um, into systemic yeah. kernels instead of spin locks yeah and so what they did is to, to a great degree they just went through and uh, you know, basically co-opted spin lock, but you, there's still. I think you can do. Uh, you can do still do a raw spin lock. I mean, there are situations yeah. where you need that, right? Uh, right. It's, it's, so I think there's raw under spin lock, raw under bar spin lock. If you want the old spin lock, but the rest of them have been have been replaced. I know there's a couple of places too where they they went in and said, "Oh, whoops," and and they just replaced with uh, the replaced it with a raw spin lock instead of a mutex because there are critical sections um, that must. That must uh, uh, run in that fashion. Okay, I, I think that we've exhausted that topic, uh, at least in the time frame that we have. And um, before before we actually finish, we have a few more topics that sure, yeah. we should go through, I guess. So, um, hierarchies executed in a threat context. And I think that we did talk about that concept um, last time. Mm-hmm. But uh, the idea here is that uh, in order for um, in order to control better the reliability. Um, if uh, real-time application threat, mm-hmm. um, the concept of uh, moving the interrupt service routine into uh, um, threat context has been introduced, right? So yes. mm-hmm. right now, um, since interrupts, when they execute, um, they, um, they kind of execute outside of the scope of a scheduler, they, yep. That means that none of the real-time threats even, quotes unquote, uh, exe- execute um, when a hard IRQ executes. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to mitigate that effect, um, the, um, the interrupt service routine has been moved to a, a threat context where it's scheduled exactly the same way as uh, other threats in the system. Mm-hmm. And therefore, end user can control the priorities and uh, control to some extent uh, the effect of um, arriving interrupts on a real-time application. Yeah, correct. I mean, because it's, it's one of those trade-offs where, I mean, even though you're getting, you know, people wear this, but tapping on the keyboard generates an interrupt. It, yeah. In fact, it generates a hardware, a hardware interrupt um, that 
halts everything else so it can process that keystroke. Mm-hmm. And by, by, be, by being able to take the hardware interrupt scheduler and being able to put a priority on it, uh, you can have a lot more control over the behavior of, of the computer, uh, of the system rather, for th- events that are entirely external. Mm-hmm. Um, because you may not have control over something like the, the traffic coming off the network card depending upon how your network is configured sometimes you can get a lot of traffic on your on your network card right. that the that the kernel will get and it has to do something with and uh, it's a way for you to insulate your system against these external events and this actually this particular um implementation does influence the um the ratio of throughput versus pre uh, well well uh, being uh, throughput Throughput versus oh geez, what is it? Predictability. Thank you, Gene. That's it. I was just uh, looking at my notes. I'm like, wow, I jumped already <laughs> to another concept. Uh, <laughs> um, well, and the next concept I want to talk about um, because I'm looking at my, at our time here yeah, is the high high resolution timers implementation. So the latest addition to a Linux kernel that um, got into a Linux kernel mainline uh, with the release of a 2.6.21 kernel. No, and they're actually really important, right? It's mm-hmm. very important that you have access to your hardware clock because that gets you predictability with respect to how your system behaves. Um, and I know there's, uh, you know. Even inside your little Pentium machine, there there actually is a high resolution, you know, microsecond timer um, that really isn't available or wasn't available before uh, in prior versions of Linux. And I know for different vendors, we have different board vendors. Timesys works with. Um, they'll also put a high res timer on their card that right. before was totally ignored by the operating system. Well, so what that means is that POSIX timers and nano sleeps. Uh, nano sleep calls can um, be as accurate as hardware allows, right? Yes. And, and usually that's the level of single microseconds, mm-hmm. which means that the entire time management inside Linux kernel um, gets improved, gets to that level of microseconds, and you can schedule timers, um, timer interrupts, for example, mm-hmm. um, at that granularity. Yeah, I know one of the one of the tests that we have here, right? When we benchmark things, is we set up a, yeah. you know, a sleep for uh, an an or you know, some short amount of time, right? And then see how many time see how many see how much time passed when the timer finally wakes up. Uh, and then we run a bunch of those and see what happens. And it's interesting. And we talked before about sort of the POSIX behavior mm-hmm. for Linux. And before you could set up an anti sleep, and you could set it for three microseconds and five microseconds, and never get called. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah, time would pass, and eventually, this operating system would get around to yeah. Time management out. was not as that, not that great. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what's really cool now is you can run the same same sort of program, well, not same, same same program, and, and your your call will actually get executed, or your timer will actually get woken up uh, when you ask for it, or you know, reasonably so. And so, the latency there is you know drastically decreased. I guess there's two things actually. There's one is the accuracy. Right? Mm-hmm. This is an actual accuracy issue because uh, before it. Simply didn't wouldn't do that, right? And um, and then the latency is also greatly reduced as well. Right. Uh, and you know, and a lot of the the real time behavior really depends on having an accurate clock. Absolutely. Um, and not only an accurate clock, but a pre- predictably accurate clock and a fine grained one as well. So. Um, okay. So before we actually come to an end of our today's episode, I wanted to mention two configuration options that um, have been introduced into Six Linux kernels. Sure. Um, 
we we talked a bit about the fact that um, Linux users have uh, final control over um, the Linux kernel configuration. They can fine tune the um, performance by turning that knob throughput versus reliability of the mm-hmm. Linux kernel. But um, there are also um, some of the configuration options um, under debugging, or I think debugging, that allow um, that allow the tra- tracing of information as to what's the latency, what's the um, wake up timing, mm-hmm. and and the two options I wanted to mention specifically here is a config latency trace, which uh, really allows end user to um, track the full trace of the maximum latency um, and this is this is kind of like a text file that um, uh, has a number of uh, information points um, okay. meaning uh, there's a, a time that it's um, spent in a, in a specific timing event followed by a specific um, call or, or, or what happened at that time mm-hmm. and you can really track where where you spend your where you spend your time in the application yeah. uh-huh. or in a system mm-hmm. per se. Um, the second the second option is config wake up timing, uh, which allows um, the the tracking of uh, maximum recorded time between um, waking up of a high priority task and um, its scheduling on a CPU. Okay, uh, and that's and that's shown in in microseconds. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about those options is that um, you can track them through proc file system. Oh, okay, and you everyone can, loves that. Yes, I, I love that concept. You know, in Linux kernel, and you can you can also reset a lot of those um, values through a proc file system by simply writing to a, to a specific proc file system file. Um, so, that, so you can actually do you can actually do some. Verification of your system without having to instrument your code, right? Exactly. <clears throat> That's wonderful. Right, right. Who likes to, who likes to do that? Rather than uh, running some of the benchmarks, if if you can afford to to have those um, options turned on, you mm-hmm. can you can track latency and yeah. and, and uh, timings uh, in real time. Um, the, yeah. the trade-off here is that um, the latency trace uh, increases overhead. So the, your kernel most likely would result in a larger footprint. Um, the performance, the throughput might get even worse yeah. um, because additional code is really being executed um, in, a, in a control path. Right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it's the same thing, Machi, right? I mean, it's like the basic quantum effect, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, the, the flip is that you'd much rather have it there than your code instrumented. Um, because you well, even if you instrumented, you'd still run across the same sort of issues. Uh, uh, you still run across the same sort of issues. Uh, so I, I, I'm sort of it's yeah. like six of one, half dozen of the other. If you're getting the right information you need, you can always you know set up a different kernel. Okay, so just to recap what we yeah. talked about today and what's new in a two six Linux kernel: O um, one scheduler, uh, improved POSIX implementation, uh, number of levels of. Um, <laughs> Preemption, a voluntary preemption, preemptible kernel, and full real-time preemption. Um, hard IRQs are executed in the threat context. The um, 
priority inheritance uh, is right now available on both kernel and user space mutexes, um, and um, the high resolution timers have been, which is the latest addition to a Linux kernel, to a 2.6 um, Linux kernel. And plus, uh, at the end, we, we talked about uh, various configuration options that um, that you can turn on. Um, and have them as default options in your kernel. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're going time ways way over, but I did want to mention, um, and uh, we did get a one of the you know one of the interesting emails we got for, from the last time. Uh, it came from Jacob, uh, and he actually he sent a chapter to, to a book he mm-hmm. wrote about uh, about uh, real time and predictability and be, and behavior. And of course, this is this is an experienced real time guy, right? And mm-hmm. so he typically worked with operating systems that were specialized to be hard real time operating systems. And I think you know, rises in pain whenever he has to look at what Linux does because it is it is soft real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he brought some interesting uh, points about uh, about the you know. If you're going to design something that's going to be real time, you have to do it from the first line of code that, that you write. Uh, otherwise, you can really put yourself into a pickle. And it, it's interesting the, the the chapter he said, the chapter of the book he wrote, uh, uh, talked about finding worst case and calculating worst case scenario for code. And it really is, uh, um, it's a worthwhile topic. I know one of the the things we wanted to talk about next is you know what happens in user user land. That, that's more my uh, uh, more of my bailiwick. Uh, for real time, like, of course, you, if you don't have the primitives in the kernel, it doesn't matter what happens in user mm-hmm. land, right? But um, but there is a, a great body of knowledge out there with respect to doing static analysis and dynamic analysis on on your on your code to to see the latencies and uh, uh, and to calculate your worst case scenario because that's really right what real time is about, right? It's it's exactly. making sure you always meet your worst case uh, deadline. Uh, and make sure you bound well that and bound all your latencies, which mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. necessary to meeting all your deadlines. Yeah, so th- that was actually a great point. And, and uh, uh, when I was reading that uh, email, um, one thing that jumped at me was that uh, Jacob actually said that in in, in, his, in his email that um, Linux is not really hard real time. And I just want to make that obvious again that oh, this yeah. is this is really soft real time operating system um, where you, you do. You can't guarantee the worst case latency mm-hmm. um, for your application, and, and there are other OSs that that can probably do, can oh, yes. probably do better job. I, sure. I don't. I'm not sure if they can guarantee the worst case latency. Mm-hmm. I have limited experience with yeah. a number of them. I'm sure that they can do better job. I'm not sure um, how well they can guarantee that uh, the, that worst case. Um, scenario will be achieved ac- across certain specific uh, period of time. Well, yeah. you get into the same the same sort of issues, right? You're going to make uh, uh, trade offs against throughput. You're going to make trade offs against hardware support. You're going to make right. You're going to make you know if, if you get a, a, a real hard time, you know, a real time operating system that is hard real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, those only run on a limited number of processors because of all the work they have to do in order to catch all those latency issues. Well, but even if you do the um, source code audit, uh, even if you if you analyze all the execution paths, yeah. there's there's another aspect which is a timing aspect to the execution, um, which is that given your application, you might and what it's doing in time, it's possible that. When you when you implement it, you you 
deploy it in a, in a field, mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, after a few weeks of running or even even a few months of running, yeah, yeah. it just does something bad, mm-hmm. something that you haven't en- encountered for because um, that you you were not able to uh, run a QA for that long under those specific timing conditions. And, and sometimes, you know, just analysis of code is, is not sufficient. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I agree there because you do get into situations where, and I think we mentioned it before, it's like the best software in the world won't make a bad programmer better, mm. right? And so even if you have a, you know, a system that's designed to be hard real time from the, from the first line that was ever written, yeah, if, you, if you're a bad engineer... I'm certain you can screw that up, yeah. you know, but, but I, I guess I just want to say, we just to say thanks to Jay. Cause I, he did, he did spend a lot of time, right. To, to, yeah. to, to, to write to us. And, uh, uh, it was really interesting. And the, the chapter out of the book was great. I mean, I, I, yeah, I enjoyed reading it. Um, so on that note, um, uh, a message to to you, our listeners. Please do um, let us know what interests you. Um, do let us know what you, you would like us to talk about. Um, explore some of the concepts, ideas of the Linux kernel. We are very much interested in in your feedback. Yeah, it really helps. I'm, so because we do get a decent amount of feedback for uh, for every episode, and uh, uh, we can't always guarantee we're right back, uh, but we try. Mm. And it's really interesting because it really helps us focus in and, and and talk about things and describe clear some things that we don't, we didn't do very good the last time around or mm-hmm. still aren't obvious or, or new concepts to, to the audience. And so if you have any questions or comments, you feel free to, to uh, drop us an email at podcast at com. I think, I think the guys over in marketing have, um, have fixed the podcast page to put the email on it. Cause because they redid the they they redid you know how they always fiddle with stuff so they redid the page and I think they took off the email address so uh, like, that was an omission I guess yeah so I mean the last time I got a couple emails from from guys that you know be easier if you put the email address so if but it's on there if just you know if you look at our podcast page or if you want to drop us a line at a uh, podcast at timesys dot com uh, we're more than happy to absolutely and I hope that you've enjoyed uh, ours today's. Um, well podcast and and uh concepts that we have talked about and um well not sure if we'll come back to real-time topics next time but um we'll take a look at what's on our list and we'll definitely let you know yeah thanks a lot this podcast was brought to you by timesys are you new to embedded linux or looking for a way to simplify your next project the Linux Link service by Timesys makes it easy to build your custom embedded Linux platform. Go to timesys.com or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.